you know, we fool ourselves when we tell ourselves that sports in the modern era is not about big business and money. It's about other things too. It's about pastimes and getting together and, and yada, yada, yada. All these things are good and they're great and that's part of it. But more importantly, we are reminded again and again and again that it's about the money. It's about what can you do to help me win and profit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week, reunited this week, because last week I called it a reunion, so this is reunited with St. Louis Post-Dispatch sports columnist Ben Fredrickson. Mr. Fredrickson, how are you? Good morning, man. I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, good to, good to be back with you, and uh, plenty to, to discuss in a, in a strange Yet, I uh, feel like we're just beginning this this weird off season, but it's almost time to talk about what next season will look like. But I'm doing well, man. How are how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Everybody's healthy. Um, Got to go have a you know go through what the flu shot and antibody test here at some point in time shortly. Um, write up something about my uh, adventures around the country and in a couple different rental cars, um, and then uh, you know look forward for for what. You kind of you're talking about it. He, the Cardinals had some roster moves this past week. Uh, we'll touch on them briefly because they added Yvonne Herrera, the young catching prospect, third on the depth chart, um, now second as far as top prospects go, uh, behind Kisner, um, Kisner who's ready for the majors, and Herrera who will conveniently likely be ready for the majors about two years from now, if not a year and a half from now. So the timing works out for if the Cardinals bring back Yadier Molina conveniently. But, you know, they also added um, Angel Rondon, who was their pitcher of the year, and that brought their 40-man roster to 39. So they're 39 out of 40. They did it on separate days. That sometimes indicates that they were looking at trades or having trades discussions before having to move the prospects on because they wanted to create more room on the 40-man before adding a prospect, or they wanted to see what the market was for that prospect so that somebody else had to protect them. By putting them on the roster now, they protect them from the Rule 5 draft. Um, that means that, you know, they 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 can't, they can't be drafted if they were, you know, and then taken by another team. Um, if they were left off, however, that's a different way than doing it through waivers. Through waivers, any team could take them, Ben. But through Rule 5 draft, that team has to take them and keep them on the active roster for an entire year. So, there's some calculus there. I think the upshot of it, though, is that there are 39 out of 40 right now. It sure seems to indicate that they don't expect to make any moves before the Rule 5 draft. That's kind of the message, at least, you know, without yet kind of poking around on that. that that's not – that's sometimes what teams do at this point. If they think that the moves are going to come later or, say, you know, after the winter meetings, then they might use a spot that they normally would leave open. And also, you know, probably speaks to the the amount of teams or the amount of interest the Cardinals think could be out there in teams grabbing guys in the Rule 5, even if it means on the sticking team. them in a non-competitive spot, right? I mean, yep. there, there will be some teams in 2021 who are not all that interested in, in competing as much as, especially if they get a chance to get them a player that they like. So the Cardinals have learned from that in the past, and I think they have made a commitment to, 
that maybe making sure that they've got their borders up around guys that they they, they want to see be a part of things in the future. Right. Yep. That's exactly right. And you know the the teams will want to do it on the cheap. Also, part of the part of the equation is much larger rosters. It's easier to stash a Rule Five guy if they're going right. to come out of this with a twenty eight man roster for next year, like they had this past season. That makes it a lot more possible to put a, a pitcher, particularly a pitcher, um, on the uh, on the bullpen for mop up duty, who's your Rule Five guy that you just hold on to and then can utilize uh, for years to come because you control the rights of. So. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely in play here, and it'll be interesting. I mean, the Cardinals will, might be one of those teams that goes, uh, you know, shopping on the Rule 5 draft. They're certainly going to be one of the teams of many teams who look for the flood of non-tender free agents um, there in the first week of December and make a run at some of that. Yeah, and there's some, you know, with what the Cardinals need, and I think we're in agreement here, They their primary need, and it's not their only need, but their primary need is to try to find some – some sort of, you know, more proven punch for a lineup that does some things well in terms of, you know, they get on base, but they don't drive in runs. And the good news for the Cardinals is that they're that non-tender list, which is a, a sign that some guys are going to have to to take short-term deals that they might not have envisioned um, before the, the pandemic. Um, there's some power on there. I mean, you, you, you can go all the way down the list. Um, you know, Carlos Santana, one example, one of the newer names. Now, some of these guys are older. Some of them would be a bit of a risk, you know, based off of maybe had a down year in, in 2020, um, but have recent track records of being able to to hit and hit for damage. So for, for the Cardinals, and they've been pretty candid about what their reality is, they, they are imagining, at least for now, a a – likely decline in, in payroll. Um, I know you talked with the chairman, Bill DeWitt, and said it's a fluid situation right now, understandably considering there's so much up in the air still, but there's going to need to be a quest for some, some, some pop, some, some damage, but on the, on the, the probably the budget side of the spectrum. And the good news is there's going to be a lot of options there. Now picking the right one um, and, and getting that guy that you want before another right. team does, that will be, the hard part, but there, there's going to be power on that non-tender list. There already is. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. There'll be there'll be value plays out there if a team is willing to spend even some money. Ben, you kind of touched on the the Dewitt topic, and that's what we wanted to do with this podcast: is go sort of round the horn on topics over the past few weeks that have developed, including you know two of the stories you've written here recently. You caught up with Lane Thomas. You explored the notion of Yadier Molina playing in the Big Apple. The big news this week for fans was Fox Sports Midwest and the rebranding, likely, of that station, but also sort of the new elements of some of the broadcast. And so the best way to do this was that we should just go around the horn on these topics. Um, We'll start at first, we'll go to second, we'll work our way around third, and then we'll try not to trip over our batting helmet as we come home to... we we should probably end it too by looking across the division at the uh, at the uh, the shakeup in Chicago too. Yes, well, that was going to be the thanks for ruining the surprise. <laughs> I'm sorry, looking too far ahead. No, no, you just I'm not doing a good job of uh, M Night Shyamalaning the podcast. I uh, I, I a lot give... that has happened since we last talked. I'm excited. I, I've got there is a topics. lot. That is correct. Theo is out. Jed is up. Uh, um, Theo. Epstein, uh, Cubs president, takes a leave, um, leaves $10 million behind for a team that is in pretty 
difficult financial position. Now they, they did get some tax help with Wrigley Field being put on the uh, on the National Historic list, um, but you know that's that's sort of the long game there. Um, the immediate gain is that they uh, they don't have to pay Theo's salary for 2021. They promote and extend Jed Hoyer's contract. He's been the GM there. They I mean they they have they work together. Um, they they spend a lot of time together. They they swap on and off. Um, you know, speaking to the media, being the voice of the team, all that stuff. Um, but confronting Jed Hoyer right away is Chris Bryant, and we will we'll get to that at the end. I was going to build towards that, but uh, we'll 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 talk a little Cubs action, and uh, and I know that you have run the numbers on the Theo era with the Cubs, and was it really all that great than the Cardinals era at the same time? So. We'll, we'll get into that towards the end, but first I want to tell people about our sponsor. Imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design of St. Louis can help you get organized with 40% off plus an additional 15% off and now with free installation. That's Closet by Design of St. Louis. Call 1-800-BYDESIGN, 1-800-BY-DESIGN, 1-800-BYDESIGN, Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the weekly best podcast in baseball. So let's start. Ben at first base, where Lane Thomas probably didn't get as often as he wanted to this season. But you talked to him about why. You know, it was sort of a comment the Mosellac dropped in to the end of year Zoom, um, and one that that we'd been asking about, and it sounded like one that the team had been asking about too. That that like, why did Lane Thomas feel, seem so out of sorts? Like, just at times looked like he was playing hesitant. We hadn't seen that before. And he can't play hesitant at the majors. It it shows up, um, you know, even like to the point where there was a fly ball that he struggled with. In talking with him, did you have a better sense of what he was dealing with? It was really enlightening, Derek. And the in the it, I think big picture is it just proves how one person's interaction with COVID nineteen is not a uni- universal experience, whether you're a pro athlete or or anybody, um, you know, we we see we see Freddie Freeman go from bouncing back from COVID to winning the National League MVP and having a, a great short season. And you think, oh, well, this isn't affecting these guys that much. Well, no, there was, of course, the the Red Sox pitcher who had to be shut down for myocarditis. Um, Lane Thomas is is somewhere in the middle. Um, he he passed all the tests to be able to return to the team, and there were a lot cardiac exam, stress test, all these different things that he had to do to be cleared. But even when he was cleared, he wasn't right. And we saw that, right? I mean, there were times when, I mean, this guy entered the season as, you know, Baseball America had ranked him as the best, you know, defense, defense, outfield defense prospect in in the organization. Now we can debate that or not, but he's, he's a sound defender. I think we would both agree there. And there were times he looked lost, like he didn't know, where exactly he was supposed to be, what he was, what he was supposed to be doing. And, and that was kind of the question that prop we asked to Mo on the zoom, the end of season zoom, because he had mentioned there were, there are guys that this virus affected more than we realized at the time. And that's part of fig- figuring out how to make evaluations on guys. It's part of figuring out how to, um, you know, deal with this in the future. Hopefully there aren't future seasons affected by it, but you're probably being, maybe a little over optimistic if you don't think 2021 will be at all. And I asked, is was Lane one of those players? 
And, and Mo said, you know, I don't want to go list by list, but yeah, he was. And in part because he had just had a conversation with someone on the team about Lane. And so I thought it was fair to, to reach out to Lane and say, hey, absolutely. Expand. And he was willing and he, he wanted to make it clear he's not, you know, trying to blame anything on the virus. He's not trying to say that he, he was forced into playing at all. He wanted to play. He wanted to be out there and help. But the more distance he gets away from the virus, the more he realizes he was not in in a good place when he was playing. I mean, and he kind of did this thing where he was like, you know, I, I was okay mostly. But then the more he talks, the more you realize he was not okay. Um, he lost like 11 pounds for a guy who doesn't carry weight all that well. Um, he had these like 15 second spells of dizziness randomly. Um, he had some breathing problems that actually required him to get antibiotics and an inhaler. He had like a cough for weeks after he was cleared to play. Um, and he just felt tired. His bat felt heavy. All these things that if you read about COVID and kind of different people's recovery from it, being cleared from the virus is and you're not contagious anymore. You have the antibodies. It doesn't, exa- it doesn't necessarily mean you're, you feel 100% back to normal. And mm-hmm. he was an example of this trying to play a very hard game also after a month out. I mean, <laughs> on top of just being rusty and, and not facing major league, major league pitching um, since the very start of the season, he was, you know, feeling all these side effects. So my, my point of the column was to say, look, it's totally fair to say the Cardinals outfield needs to get better. And it's totally fair to say they've got to find some offensive production there. And it's, you know, depending on how you dice and slice the numbers, it's, it's either fair or not to say that we've seen, you know, representative samples from guys like Harrison Bader and, and Tyler O'Neill. But what it's not fair to say is that we know what Lane Thomas can be for the Cardinals, because I don't think we do. He's had 38 at bats in 2019, which was really promising he, you know, averaged above 300 on base above four and slugged above six in a very small sample size. And in 2019, he got the wrist broken on an inside pitch and his season was over, but it built up excitement about him maybe being able to grab a spot in 2020 if he could outplay Tyler O'Neill, you know, Harrison Bader, or even Dexter Fowler. Well, that was robbed. He had two fewer at bats in, in 2020. And then when he did come back, the 33 at bats that he had were. I think when you learn more about what he was dealing with, I don't, I don't feel good reading too much into those numbers. So of all the internal options they have for the outfield, he's the one guy that I think can accurately be said that hasn't really gotten a a shake to show what he can do. Now, will that be the plan in 2021? Um, Could be, but uh, you, we don't know, you know, everyone always asks me, who's the next Cardinals outfielder that, that could get away and, and become something better somewhere else. And, I would think right now the best chance it could be was Lane Thomas because we haven't really seen what he can do. It's interesting because the last outfielder who got away and did something who probably prompts that question is Randy Orozarena, right? And at one point in time, Lane Thomas was ahead of Randy Orozarena as far as the Cardinals' view of them as prospects. You know, Lane Thomas, what he did in AAA um, was – akin to slightly slightly just behind what Randy Rosarena did in AAA, but Randy Rosarena was playing at a time when the ball was livelier, right? right? And Lane Thomas had the better reputation and a better scouting and the better reviews uh, defensively, right? Just the better defensive metrics. So that's what put him ahead, and he was about to get that playing time to, you know, unveil it when he broke his hand. He was about to get the playing time 
the, you know, from Harrison Bader, who's going to overtake him for playing time there during the playoff stretch, and then broke his wrist, and the Cardinals, rather than pivoting towards Randy Rosarena with the playing time, went back to, well, we know we got a really elite defender in Bader, and that's always been the bread and butter, so just go with that. Um, you know, and that, that, was, that was somewhat of a pivotal moment for them in understanding what kind of player Randy Rosarena was, or at least getting a, an earlier glimpse of it, but it was a bigger deal because Lane Thomas just was not part of the equation after they had telegraphed what they thought of him. Lane said it as kind of, he felt like his role entering 2020 was, there was no spot for him guaranteed, but he felt like he was going to have a chance to carve his way into one. And that's how it played out, right? I mean, when you, when you look at what Tyler O'Neill the opportunity that he opened up, there were things to like. Certainly, he wanted he wanted Dan Gold Glove, and he he had his he had his walk rate climb and his, his strikeout rate drop, but he still had a declining OPS significantly for the third consecutive season. Harrison Bader, I think, showed signs of of improvement, but not enough to say that he's the answer forever in center field. And Dexter Fowler, while productive, missed time, so there would have been that opportunity even in a shortened season for Lane to either sink or swim. And it was robbed by this virus, which, you know, it was frustrating for him because he was like the last guy to pop from the Milwaukee quarantine. You know, his roommate had Correct. it. And he yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, this that situation where the Cardinals were flown home, you know, without quarantining for 14 days, um, he doesn't know where exactly it traced back to, but he just knows that from that point it was – sitting around resting and then getting a very short amount of tune-ups in, in Springfield before he was sent out on the road in order to try to compete at a high level. And, you know, as he said, it's hard enough to hit in the majors every day. And it's, uh-huh. it's really hard when you're coming back from that amount of time off combined with, you know, not exactly knowing if you're going to be seeing spots when you walk out to the, to the plate. So you know, he's not frustrated about the opportunity that he did or didn't get. He said, look, by the time I got back, we were trying to make the playoffs. We were pushing. It wasn't about Lane. He goes, he said it, it wasn't about let's get Lane Thomas some reps. It was about let's try to find ways to win. And he wanted to be a part of that. But it was interesting to hear him talk about how he learned more about it. And really interesting to hear about Mo talk about how the Cardinals are rapidly learning about maybe ways to try to ease guys back or handle things uh-huh. differently. They had never done this before. There was no playbook on how to bring a guy back from COVID. Combine that with the difficulty of the fact that everybody's interaction with it can be different. And uh, and it's tough. I mean, Lane was in a spot, and he described this, where he passed all the tests, so he felt like he, he, wanted to pl- he did want to play, but he also wrestled with, is this something I should bring up, that I'm, this isn't quite right, or is this something I should try to play through? And I think that's every athlete in America right now as they try to figure out what they should and shouldn't do on the road to recovery from the virus. What's true for individual athletes is also true for teams and leagues. Um, we can right. see now in, in the news that some of the teams are starting to come out with their plans, um, you know, when they're going to start, how they're going to play. you got the NBA with how it's going to have a postseason when it's going to start. Major League Baseball released its 2021 schedule optimistically shortly after it uh, – released it's 2020 um but you can tell you know again actions speak louder than press releases and this past week i had a chance to talk with 
uh, Chairman Bill DeWitt of the Cardinals. And, you know, the on Sunday in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, they were talking, you know, the Tom Hardricourt had a story where he quoted, you know, the president of the team up there, and he was saying that they're getting really strong renewals on season ticket holders for 2021, and they, they were reaching out, and they were starting to think about, you know, what's the excitement level for buying tickets and everything like that. And the Cardinals have not started doing that. Um, that, to me, is revealing. There are some teams that are moving tickets, that are doing renewals and things like that, but they know, but they are doing so with the knowledge that they may take in money that they'll have to return, right? It's somewhat of a cash call, you know? Um, The Cardinals are not. They're not in the process of doing renewals, according to DeWitt. I asked him if that means that they might miss the holiday season as far as ticket sales go, right? Like, you know, stocking stuffers for Christmas and stuff. And he said one of the things is they just don't know how many games they're going to play. They don't know when they're Mm going to start. They have this schedule, and so they could sell based on it, but is that what they want to do? And I, I think that speaks to the fact that obviously teams are dealing with this in different ways. They're going about it in different ways. Their financial situations are different. And, you know, and it speaks to like no one has a playbook for this, for leagues or for teams. And they're, they're all doing it ad hoc. Is that they're yeah, improvising? Well, right. And I, I, I never doubt uh, when it comes to wondering what inside information Bill DeWitt is getting from Rob Manfred. I, I think he's probably on the front line of guys who know what's yeah. going on. I mean, yep. this is a, this is a situation where Rob Manfred comes to do his teleconference calls with the owners from the Cardinals headquarters in in, in Jupiter. Okay, so yeah. If the Cardinals are not selling season tickets for Christmas, you better believe there's a reason behind it. It's not just oh, we didn't get that together soon enough. No, that doesn't happen. Um, so I, I would I would take that with with uh, you know. And, and look into it in terms of we can probably use that as an early read on the way this is going. Look, man, all I know is this. It makes a lot of sense to me for the owners to say, look, let's, let's start later, better chance of a vaccine. Let's, let's, let's try to redo with a longer season. albeit maybe not all that much longer what we did in 2020 Let's push back the time to get as many fans involved as we can. And let's let's have another short-term agreement that not only sets us up to hammer out a new CBA, we've got to mention that as part of the discussion here. Absolutely. But also, but also you know, perhaps keeps the number of games lower than it normally would be entering that discussion because mm-hmm. players, they got to play to make the money. And if they have, you know, one season's worth of games stretched over the past two, then it probably decreases the likelihood of a work stoppage. So I, I think there will be some 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 motives that are certainly about the virus first and foremost. But let's no one's going to be ignoring the fact that the CBA is ending either. Let's not pretend that. No, you're right. I mean that that's that is that was one question I asked him actually multiple different times as we kind of talked through it was, you know, just this notion of is is baseball at a precarious point, not just because it has to return from a season that it pulled off during a pandemic and moved around, but now has to do it again, possibly, uh, and then has labor strife, labor negotiations, whatever, at the end of it. And you're talking about a shortened season in 2020, a, a compromised, potentially shortened season in 2021, ongoing financial difficulties for the teams, and then... Uh, work stoppage in 2022. 
Um, that's a three-year span where baseball could sustain tremendous dents to its armor. I mean, almost like the the Black Knight and Monty Python, right? Um, I mean, you know, is what does it what does it come out of? You know, if it keeps acknowledging that it's just a flesh wound, you know, these are serious things that you need medical attention for um, before they become, you know before they compromise the sport in general. I, I, I think it's a really, uh, it could, it's certainly the defining time for Rob Manfred, Rob Manfred as commissioner. Um, this is, this is his legacy, this three year span right now and how he comes out of it. And yeah, how he helps the owners, you know, continue to make money. And it's great that the Mets can go sell for a two and a half billion dollars. And that looks really good in headlines and everything like that. But that's not what, the sport overall is feeling in part because the other 29 teams aren't up for sale. Um, the, the other 29 teams don't have a Steve Cohen eager to buy them as a fan. Uh, you know, so th- that, that, you know, this, this is a really important time. Um, you know, the, the Cardinals have lost money. A lot of teams lost money. I think the most people acknowledge that because, you know, the small businesses have lost money. The individuals have lost money. At our in our industry, there have been furloughs and tremendous layoffs in the newspaper industry. So every business is hurting in some way. So it makes sense that even a business as big as baseball, um, because it's in the entertainment industry, and the entertainment industry lacked ticket sales this past year, and the you know th- so they were able to get some streaming things. It's like a it's like a blockbuster movie, right? Like baseball was like a blockbuster movie this past year. It couldn't open in theaters. It couldn't open to people. So it didn't have the box office. So it was going to streaming. It could get the money from TV. But even those were limited. I mean, you know, the, the Cardinals get about 450 k per game um, broadcast by Fox Sports. That was about a third of what they normally expect. And this year, I'm doing the math right. I have it right here. Um, they were expected to get about 58 to 60 million, 58.4 million in rights fees. So that was slashed by pretty much two thirds. Um, you know, the Braves offer an example, you know, because the Braves are public, um, they're, they're the, their rarity in professional sports because of that, but they offer us a window into what the Cardinals were dealing with because they're close, you know, they, they, there's a lot of similarities. There's a difference in population, and thus there's a difference in the right fees that was made clear to me as I started doing some more research and looking into it. But you know, otherwise, there there are some a lot of similarities. They're all kind of grouped around that eight to twelve as far as rankings in baseball with local revenue. And you can see that the the, the Braves lost money. I mean, at one point in time, this is this number is incredible. Is in the second quarter of twenty. 19 second quarter so that's the first three months of the regular season the Braves had 198 million in baseball revenue in the second quarter of 2020 that is during the quarantine right while they were trying to figure out what to do they had five million in baseball revenue it just was the 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 this spigot had been twisted off at that point yeah I don't think anybody is no one should be arguing that teams teams were not uh not trending in the right direction financially this season. The debate is going to be about, you know, okay, they had a terrible year um, after how many really good years consecutively. So how much should a bad year change the business moving forward? Um, A lot of businesses have down years, but if you have more good than bad. Now, 
some businesses have down years and drastically changed to reflect that. Others say it was yeah. a bad year. We're going to boom when uh, when we can have this place packed again. And I think the hesitancy about saying just that is the unknown about 2021. You know, is this going to be a two year down year or is it going to be a dip and then a spike? Because I think I mean, my personal thought is when when we are, quote unquote, back to normal, then sports will boom. And people will be rushing to get out and, and see their teams and go to games. And, and I think we'll see that happen. However, yeah. there's no concrete proof that 2021 is going to be that year. And that's what I mean about the CBA. If the boom's going to happen in 2022, you got to have a you got to get a season first. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have to have Great players point. and owners agree yeah. what, what a CBA looks like. So that's what I think we're seeing now is this, this, just this, this unwillingness to, to bet because it's because it's there's so much uncertainty which you know no no pun intended but that's kind of i think too what we're what we're seeing with this fox sports uh and sinclair thing Mm. you know people are people are going man i don't know if fox sports midwest should be should be doing this it's not fox sports midwest that's deciding to do this it's a parent company sinclair broadcasting that said all of our fox sports regionals are going to be rebranded under valleys which is a casino and they're going to pump sports betting and gambling into the games now we'll see what that specifically looks like here in st louis um it could be different based off of how states legalize you know gambling or not we'll see we don't have hard details on that yet but there is i think going to be um you know money money is always ruled and, uh-huh. and it's about the dollar and it's about the bottom line and what we probably are going to see at least for the near future, is maybe less um, hand wringing about that from some of these teams and leagues. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago where betting and baseball were never supposed to mix, and they're going to have to change their stance <laughs> on some things if they're welcoming it into their broadcast. But why are they doing it? It's, they're doing it because it makes money, and yeah. the rest of us are going to have to adjust. Yeah. For some people, they'll love it. Some people hate it. Um, you know, and there were probably times when, if you would have told somebody during the the prohibition era that the baseball would be played in stadiums named after beer companies. They would have thought that was crazy, but things have changed and fantasy sports has crept into pro leagues. You can see up the scoreboard at Bush, the fan duel leaders of the, of the league. Um, you know, the blues are asking fans to get on their apps and pick which players are going to score the most goals in the game. All of this has been a slow build up to welcoming betting and the, and the money and the profits that will come for it. And I, I just think we're going to see all these leagues say, hey, if there's money to be made on our game, we want in on the cut. Just to circle back and, and tag up at the second topic before moving on to the third one, the Cardinals are likely to scale back payroll. Uh, they aren't yet settled on what that will be. That's in part because they don't know how many tickets they're going to be able to sell, and that's how those are connected. Um, but there is an element, too, that they're not quite sure what's available. They've made some priorities, and we'll we'll talk about those towards the end uh, of this podcast, as to what they want to do for their payroll and then move past that to make a decision what the larger payroll is. They, they do expect it to be less, but they want to be open, and why, this is why the fluid comes up. They want to be open that it could also evolve through the course of the season. So... You know that I know that's not what fans want to hear because they they're tired of it. Um, the Cardinals did gear their payroll, did did set up their payroll strategically 
to have a lot of it melt off before the 2022 uh, free agency. Um, $60 million about is going to come off. They wanted to at least be available to make a play in a market where, you know, now they have not done well with the auctions. They have not done well with the bidding. They know that. Now, what that means, though, if some of these guys get traded on the trade deadline, then they can work out, you know, the sign and extend, which they do like to do, um, if at all possible. It, it may not be possible. That may not work out this year because of factors beyond their control. But they do increasingly talk about trying to create payroll flexibility in a way that suggests that they hold on for 2021 and then see if there's a smorgasbord of options for 2022 and invest more in that year. That that seems to be how this is playing out. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of see it coming. And, and even Mo, he didn't, I wouldn't say he admitted it, but hinted at 2022 being a a year of uh, refreshing. I, I don't know what the right word is. Uh, I, I mean, they've got some, some critical prospects that are kind of tabbed for that range of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can look at the contracts and see the money that's going to be coming off the books for other, other moves. So you asked a great question at the end of season press conference about, you know, if 2022, if 2021 is going to be then viewed as kind of a, a punt and, yeah. you know, it yeah. was, it was as candid of a conversation as you're going to have on a zoom call with 30 people watching. Um, yeah. The two of us going back and forth. Yeah. But, you know, he will admit that, 2022 will look will look different. So that to me is like again, we started talking about that non-tender list. Uh, if your if your goal for the Cardinals this offseason is for them to, you know, trade for Lindor and sign him for the, a massive deal, or you you want them to go get, um, you know, DJ LeMahieu, like you're going to be disappointed. Like I'm just telling you now, don't you can hope for that. That's fine. Like hope for the moon. But that's not going to happen um, because it, it's very easy to look down the road and see what's what's in the works. What could and should happen, I think, is is finding a guy on a one-year deal who can hit better than anybody else in this lineup. That's other than Paul Goldschmidt. That's going to be available. Um, those guys are being non-tendered left and right if you pick the right one. And that, to me, is kind of the the, the interesting conversation. We can talk all day about how the Cardinals have spent money. You know, they're not being cheap. They've they've spent money in places that 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 haven't worked out. That's how they've gotten into the problem right. with, the, with the offense. This is going to be, I think, this offseason is going to be a test of their ability to prove that what happened with Randy Rosarena was was an oddity, an oddity. Dig into their numbers. Dig into their projections. Dig into their scouting, and find one of these guys who are being you know find the Colton Wong of offense who got non tendered. Or got you know didn't get his option picked up, but is great at what he excels at, and go get him and, and uh-huh. show that you found a value play that can help the lineup for a season or two. That's that's the that's what this offseason's about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of examples of that. You know, I mean, there are guys who are. I mean, you know, you know, you, some of them could be had via trade. Um, guys and that's, who and that's what I just I should have, I should have punctuated it with this. If this season is not a punt, if 2021 is not a punt, then that should be the expectation. And if it, if they don't do any of that and they just say, well, we're going to stick with what we have totally, then 
then it's fair to revisit that question that that Mo pushed back against. Oh, then I'll ask it over and over again. Yeah. Then right. no. If if they returned it, though, I mean, that, it can be some of both. It can be right. hey, Lane Thomas didn't get much of a real shot, and we plan on giving him one. I, that sells for me. Um, what doesn't sell for me is hey, we're back, and Dexter Fowler, Harrison Bader, and Tyler O'Neill are the starters in the outfield, and we're going to plug Matt Carpenter at third base and pretend he's not. You know, he's not. You know. It's a fresh start for everybody. That that doesn't sell. No, it's some blend of Dylan Carlson being in the outfield and getting ready to lead the team for years to come and some addition from the outside, whether that's a compliment um, who leads to a platoon somewhere, i.e. a Jock Peterson, or if they don't want to spend that, then someone akin to that, or, you know, uh, uh, some kind of Listella or something, some somebody who changes the mix and look of right. the team, or, or, not on an everyday basis, but yeah. does, does or something to jolt the offense. Right. You know, go, right. Get, go get, go get a four man's David Ortiz. Right. And, you know, pay Nelson Cruz more money than somebody else and hope that it, it father time doesn't come crashing in on his head or and, Bush stadium and, and ask him to hit, ask him to hit bombs. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's that's and, and and say and look. I think we're. I mean, you know the tea leaves better than I do. I think there's going to be a DH in, in twenty in the National League in twenty twenty one. Go find the guy who can who can be a a fearsome DH and don't and enough with this. Let's pass it around the horn type of thing. Yeah, I I expect something about that early right after Thanksgiving, if not before. I mean, they need to give some clarity to these teams. Um, preferably before the dam breaks on the non-tenders. But you're right. I mean, they, 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 the Cardinals cannot, can no longer put all their chips on the offense they think they have. They have to go mm-hmm. out and get an offense that they can have. And that's that's where they're at. And that is a cumbersome segue back to the gambling aspect. So the, 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 is the network going to be called Bally Sports? Am I pronouncing that right? That's the... I don't know if it'll be Bally Sports Midwest or have some other branding. You know, well, could they name them after different tables? Yeah. Like, could they do? Uh, like, could the Midwest be Bally's Sports Roulette, and out west it could be Bally's Sports Texas Hold'em, um, Bally's Sports Blackjack. Could they do that? What would the, what would St. Louis be? Um, Riverboat Gamblers. I think I think we'd have to be bingo. That seems like a big Midwest thing. Okay, bingo. But that, I thought that would be Wisconsin. Oh yeah, Wisconsin's kind of weirdly the Midwest. What? What? It's weirdly mid. No, it's Midwest. I don't know. Like, see, I grew up in the mid. I grew up in 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 Missouri. Like, my definition of the Midwest is is not like. Here's the thing. Like, our part of the country, like nobody wants us. So I think my definition of the Midwest is weird. Wait, so your definition of the Midwest is living where no one wants you? Well, Missouri, like our, it's, Missouri is always, it's always too South to be Midwest and too North to be South. We're just unwanted. I, I like Missouri. I want, I want to live here. I live here. I came to school here. I came from the West to be here. You came from the mountains. Yeah. In part. Okay, fine. So that's not the West. Well, there's difference. I, I lived near a frontier town. Like, actually, you know what? I I could drive to actual frontier towns that were still frontier towns. Well, I digress. 
one one thing that I I am not well versed in that um in that world in sports betting um that is on purpose but I have two questions about it you know do you understand do you empathize do you think along the lines of the program the 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 look and the feel of the broadcast and what its message is to younger fans I, I hear it like my yeah, son. I, 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 yeah, I get it. Um, I also, and this is maybe as callous of me, but I feel like that is a, a conversation that is valid, but also one that is somewhat irrelevant. I mean, again, I go back to the fact that the Cardinals and the, not just the Cardinals play it at, at Bush stadium, that, that, that alcohol is sold inning by inning up and down, up and down the seats that if, you know, if, that if marijuana is legalized, there will probably be dedicated marijuana smoking sections outside of Bush stadium, like there are with, with, with cigarettes. Um, to me, it's about, you know, we fool ourselves when we tell ourselves that sports in the modern era is not about big business and money. It's about other things too. It's about pastimes and, getting together and yada, yada, yada. All these things are good and they're great. And that's part of it. But more importantly, we are reminded again and again and again that it's about the money. It's about what can you do to help me win and profit. And that's every league and every team. We were reminded every time some guy who doesn't deserve a second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth chance gets another one because he's good at what he does. That's not a good message to our, to our kids. We're reminded it when, Robinson Cano gets popped for steroids again. That's not a good message to our kids. So, you know, I get it. But I also, if we're relying on sports, you know, the business of sports to send the message to the kids, we're relying on the wrong things. It's kind of my big picture view on it. Um, I think there are like two camps of this gambling thing. It's either the people who love it or the people who hate it. And there's not a lot of middle ground. I feel like I'm the one guy kind of in the middle. Like it's not always my cup of tea like I will get in on like a March Madness pool whatever but it's not like I'm I look at that and go oh my god this is so horrid you know little Timmy is going to ask his dad what it means to to bet the under um you know I think kids will probably mostly ignore it um or hopefully I mean hopefully kids are watching the baseball on the tv in, in general um I guess is if 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 the parents are gambling on sports then the kids are probably aware of it anyway it's no different now than dad having his fantasy league or, you know, having the fantasy league trophy up in the, in, in the, you know, the, the fan cave at home. Um, so I, again, I, I feel like it's, I feel like it's a little overwrought and I'm also aware of the fact that it's what, what our opinions are on it. They're not going to matter because money's being made. This is being legalized across the country. The Supreme court opened the door. Now States are picking it up and, uh-huh. uh, and yeah, of course, teams that want to make more money are, are jumping in on it. So, um, you know, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out here in St. Louis. I'm very curious about that because I can see the Cardinals not wanting that to dominate the broadcast. Um, I can see them wanting to maybe have a more restrained approach. What I think will be interesting is if teams get individual say on any of them. Uh-huh. Um, yep. You mentioned, you know, the you mentioned the the ratings. You know, at some point, the Cardinals need to are going to have to say what they think about this, but also they're going to have to say what they think about the fact that more and more Cardinals fans can't watch games. Right. I mean, right. 
Dish TV, you can't watch the games. Um, YouTube, you know, Sinclair's relationship with some of these, you know, streaming services and networks, they're, they're putting Cardinals fans in a spot where they're having less of a relationship with the product because they can't get the dang games on. So yep. at some point, that's a Cardinals problem beyond a Sinclair problem, right? So we're going to need to hear the Cardinals, what they think about some of these things. Yeah, real eager to hear how, what what their portion of the ownership, what influence that allows them to have um, and what their weight as a historic organization and usually a good ratings, you know, magnet, what, what power that gives them. I'm real interested to do that. And the last, the other thing, the one other thing about this is if you're watching the Cincinnati Reds on Bally's Sports Ohio and Pete Rose isn't in the Hall of Fame and is still banned from betting on baseball, how do you square that circle? Is it possible yeah. at all for baseball to go into this agreement to then flood the conversation with little small bets on every individual thing you know, here comes a curveball. Here comes a fastball. I mean, I don't think it's going to get to that level, but it's certainly going to be like, what could he do in this at bat? You know, bet on it now. Um, how do you, how do you reconcile that with Pete Rose being banned from baseball? Yeah, well, I, it's kind of the old question of like, not that baseball is law, but you apply the legal approach. Like, if you committed a crime before a crime was no longer a crime, did you still commit the crime? Well, the law says yes. I mean, we're not, we don't, we don't pull people out of prison after drug, drug laws change. Maybe we should, um, but we, but we don't. So that's kind of how, how I view that. Um, does it, is it hip, is it hypocritical? Hell yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and, and those questions have to be answered. Pete Rose can't be the, um, you know, the troll, unwanted, unwanted, you know, bad guy of baseball when they're when they're taking bet when they're going to have people betting on who gets into the Hall of Fame. Derek, I mean, come on, oh, no. is it hypocrit- yeah. hypocritical? Heck, yeah. If Pete Rose would not have spent, you know, his time making money and flaunting the fact that he's banned from baseball because he bet on it. And I think he would be in a much better spot to hold this up and say, are, we, are you kidding me? But, you know, Pete Rose can't play it both ways. He wants to be in the Hall of Fame and he also wants to to go and, and do his autographs in the you know casino lobby. Um, so he's got to he's got to he picked the wrong lane to be holding this up as hypocritical because he has been hypocritical, which so I, I'm reluctant to just say, oh, OK, this is, means a free pass for for Pete Rose. However, Seeing what we've seen with the steroid era, seeing what we've seen with the change in in in, in the voting trends, uh-huh. um, there will be pressure building, and baseball has to know that when it jumps into a deal like this. So, looking down the road, could I see that being a possibility where Pete Rose gets the ban lifted and he's in? Yeah, I could. I am not a betting man, but I'll put better odds that Shoeless Joe Jackson goes in first before Pete Rose does. <laughs> well, I mean. There do you want to put down a bet on it? Here, let's bet on it. Who who goes in first? I'll uh, let's do. Uh, we'll do. We'll do spicy tie. Spicy tie. I'll take yep. the bet. You do. Uh, you'll do spicy tie, and if uh, and if I win, I want shawarma. I just look at it as like. So I don't have a vote yet. You, of course, you know, are a voter in the Hall of Fame. I think if I a voter for the Hall of Fame. Of, 
I, if I asked a bunch of 30 year olds who will one day vote, if they, if they have a problem with Pete Rose being in the hall of fame, I think most of them would say no. I, I don't. And I mean, you play make I think, that a generation. I think, thing. Most I, them, I think most of them would say, well, yeah, I mean, betting is, I think most of them would say, well, yeah, baseball just got in bed with, with betting. Why, why shouldn't, why shouldn't that be reconsidered? So that's, I've been pretty, I, I have been pretty set on this for a good 10, 15 years as I, as it came into view when I would get a ballot and how I would approach it. Now, Pete Rose has never been on my ballot. He just hasn't. But my approach with Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Gary Sheffield, it would be the same with Pete Rose and it would be the same with Shoeless Joe Jackson. Um, I would like for all of them to be in and whatever transgressions they had during their, during their career on the plaque. Shoeless Joe should be in there, and it should say he did this in the World Series, he hit this, he won this batting title, and he was banned from baseball. Pete Rose should be in there and say, the all-time hit king, he had this many hits in the National League, he stole this many bases, he played for these teams, and he was banned from baseball. The, the, that's, that's always been my stance. The, the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum is a tribute not just to the great players, but also to the mistakes the game made so it doesn't make it again. You know, there are plaques up there from players who played when the game was segregated. They are monuments to the fact that baseball then integrated and got better. I mean, why why you can't have transgressions on the plaque so that people for generations can learn from them, I don't know. I know that people go, well, Barry Bonds is going to stand up there next to a plaque that has his transgressions on. Okay, that he makes that choice. Yeah. Fine, don't show up. Right, right. You know, okay. You know, it's an honor to go into the Hall of Fame. And if you don't want to accept that, that's cool, but accept the legacy that you left as a lesson that it shouldn't happen again. Right, and that, that's you make a great point. Idea. The gray area, the problem is that what about guys who never admitted but are accused? And, and you've talked about that with voting is like, Okay, do you put transgressions? Do you put positive tests? Do you put confessions? Um, right. Is a guy punished for come, telling the truth? Um, you know, those are the those are the That's tough questions that, that get in there. I know this is shocking to some people. There are people in the Hall of Fame who use steroids. Yep. <laughs> and just got yeah. away with it. Yeah, and amphetamines <laughs> so, and all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah. this idea that it's supposed to be this squeaky clean place um, is 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 held onto by some, but it's inaccurate. So. Yeah. When I view that and the way this is moving with betting, that I no, I wouldn't be surprised if, if one day Pete Rose is. All right, let's head home then and talk about the guy who has for a generation played behind home plate for the Cardinals, and that's Yadier Molina. Um, you know, the, he and Adam Wainwright represent the the two free agents of most interest at this moment to the Cardinals. Um, that's in part because you can tell that they would make considerations with those two to bring them back that would then influence the payroll elsewhere. Um, ownership has said that they want to bring them back. I asked Bill DeWitt if that remained the case. He emphatically said so. Um, you know, that is especially true, not to not to say that one is greater than the other, but they are keenly aware of Yadier Molina's, you know, lifelong time with the Cardinals from draft to all-star mm-hmm. and on into Hall of Fame career. Um, they call him a legacy player, and ownership has previously said that they put a value on 
legacy. Mosaic, I believe, when asked, said that he would have to make a an emotional decision as well as a financial one when it comes to Molina. Uh, you know, and that that ha- obviously Molina wants to return to the Cardinals. He keeps having his agent circle back, but as you outlined, New York is a clear and present factor in his market. Yeah, I don't want to be an alarmist here. But I think anytime you're trying to keep a player and the Yankees are have entered the chat, it's concerning. <laughs> I mean, and that's the that's the the history, right? I mean, Yadier Molina right. is a player who who appreciates things like World Series rings and Gold Glove Gold Glove awards and All Star games. So how could he not, you know, be um, flattered that the Yankees, the only team with more World Series championships than the Cardinals, would inquire about him? More importantly, though, I think it's the conversation in New York, right? If the Yankees and the Mets are going to go to war with Steve Cohen willing to throw big cash around and both are are reportedly at least considering pursuing catchers, then there's only one real muto to go around. So if this becomes right. a pitcher stand down in the Big Apple, then I don't think it gets too far down that list before Yadier Molina is is being mentioned. So whether it's whether the Mets would be as appealing, probably not, right? But if, if you're 38 and you're Yadier Molina and you want another ring and Steve Cohen's talking about, let's uh, back up the Brinks truck. I didn't suffer any losses from baseball in 2020. Let's spin when everyone else is is not. Um, then that could be appealing too. So more importantly, I think it's just you have to look at the, the landscape, right? And it seems like the catcher free agency conversation is a little more interesting now because of the conversation that's starting to to come out in New York. A lot of it depends on Gary Sanchez. If the if the Yankees decide they can fix him or try, then maybe this doesn't this doesn't become much of a conversation. If the Cardinals lock up a deal with Yachty two years and it's and it's put to bed before things get off the ground too much, well then then it won't be much of a conversation. But it, it is something worth monitoring. I really do think that. Yeah, the uh, the conversation with the Yankees and the New York teams is going to be different because of the pace of it if Real Muto is involved, right? Like, Real Muto might slow the market for Yadier Molina when it comes to teams other than the Cardinals. So if the Cardinals want to resign him, it could go pretty fast, right? Because that's mutually interested, and they meet the price, and they move on. Um, But if the Cardinals want the market to help sway what they have to offer Molina, then it could be a little slower because teams are going to be eager to see if – you know, if Real Muto signs first. So that's 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 sort of where they're at at this point. Um, you know, the, the Yankees are interesting too because they have a distinctive way that they approach catching. And that may not connect with how Yadier Molina approaches catching. He's going to want command of the games and right. to call the games. And, you know, he'll take input and everything like that. But he's going to want control out of how those games go. And if the Yankees say, well, look at his track record, we'll turn that over to him. Or if they say, well, we like our analytics or we like how our manager does it, we like our culture here, then maybe that doesn't connect with him. Um, the appeal of the Mets would be obviously a pitching staff that has right. a lot of potential and a two-time Cy Young Award winner. So, I mean, you could see why the draw would be there. Um, but it, it does seem like, you know, if, if the Cardinals wanted to jump the line, um, as they've done before, but may not want to financially this time, they could do that. They could do that. Uh, with Wainwright, did he lose a suitor in Atlanta? Is that what your sense of it is? Is that with by draw, draw by signing Smiley, the the Braves now don't have interest, or do you see that as as 
one place that now he won't be able to call home his home? Well, I wonder just about I wonder about it more on the on the Wainwright side of things. Um, because if I'm Adam Wainwright, and the way I pitched last season, I'm not going to go play at a place where I'm not going to be a starter. I mean, he earned that that, that title last season, and so he knows he's going to be a starter if he comes back with the Cardinals. Um, if right. he is going to be viewed as a starter for the Braves, then he's kind of a starter asterisk. Maybe maybe they both are entering spring training. Maybe he's a swing guy. Um, it just mm-hmm. seems like that pickup one year. 11 million for Smiley is kind of the Adam Wainwright type move. And you look at the, what the Braves have, you can make a case that they've got a kind of penciled in rotation. Now maybe Wainwright would push someone out, but you would think that if he's going to go somewhere, he's going to have as good of a chance of being a starter um, as he would with the Cardinals. The Cardinals would say, yeah, you're in the rotation and we, we, that's exactly where we want you to be. Um, Maybe not as sure of a thing, um, in Atlanta right now, although they haven't directly said what their plan for for Smiley is, I just think it maybe looks a little more crowded now than it than it used to. Yeah, and yeah, I, I think the the upshot of this is this is going to be forever. It's just going to take time, you know. Like the the thought of having you know Braves caps under the Christmas tree for all the Wainwright family is golly. Uh, that it seems like we're just going to be waiting because, you know, there's the teams don't know, um, right. you know, it, it, if a team wants to go after a Robbie Ray or a Drew Smiley, because that's the guy they want um, at that price point, then they make that move. Um, but a majority of teams right now seem more interested in like, well, how many games are there going to be in free agents too? If they want multiple deals or, multiple years, excuse me, or guaranteed money, you know, that that's in play too. I, and it's just, it's going to take a while. Has there been any sense from, and we know Yadier Molina wants a two-year deal. Um, mm-hmm. Wainwright has done back-to-back one-year deals that have worked out really well for both parties because Cardinals got the, the brevity and he got the, the incentives right. that he earned. And got to keep. Has there been any sense that, that other teams are interested in, Offering Molina that two-year deal that I imagine the Cardinals there is not. were willing to give him, right? No, there's not, and that is right. And then, is there any sense that Wainwright wants to shift away from what has worked for him the past two seasons? He In has said he wants to go year to year. Right. So it, that yeah. to me is that's going to be a lot of this. Is Wainwright has a structure that works here and the role he wants mm-hmm. here, um, and Yadi is going to get more. Yadi's going to get two years some sort of two-year offer from the Cardinals. He might not like the money, but I don't know that other teams are going to be as willing to give him that two years. Right. That's an edge that the Cardinals have at this moment. At this moment. Um, you know, the Yankees could be a different factor there if they see a two-year sure. bridge or if they have a one-and-one one or or if they just are more appealing if they think they're going to win. I mean, look, the, the messages that the Cardinals are sending by saying they're going to scale back payroll, that factors into the conversations with these guys too. I do like the idea of uh, – of the Mets having decide to decide, I know you said this about the Yankees, it, but but it is funny to think about the Mets <laughs> deciding to hand over their 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 pitch calling duties to Yadier Molina, who has proven that he can do that pretty well um, against the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has experience calling pitches in Queens that work. Is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> I think in the track record there, uh, it checks out. Um, I do. Yeah, that's you know, pretty Yadier's, good. It's, Yachty is fun to talk about because he's Yachty, right? And he, mm-hmm. you never know what he, what's going to be, what's going to be 
important to him and what he's fired up about. But I've said this before, and and, I'll, and I will say it again. I, I think these guys are back. However, the one thing that can't happen um, in these discussions with Yadier Molina is that he can't reach the point where he's feeling like he's being disrespected, or the Cardinals are not, you know, the Cardinals are not valuing his his legacy. And and I think it's smart what what Bill uh-huh. Hill has said about prioritizing Yadier Molina and wanting to honor that because Yadier Molina, who feels like he's being um, shortchanged, not just financially, but about the respect. And I know that's, it's all a business, but that does mean a lot to him. And if you don't want to have a scorned Yadier Molina late in the process with an offer from the Yankees on the table is what I'm trying to say. That's a very good point because then he'll go to Instagram with his decision. (laughs) Uh, All right, let's close with this. So Theo Epstein, as we talked about at the beginning, um, steps away from his role with the Cubs. Uh, Jed Hoyer promoted a general manager. They have been the architects behind the Cubs championship that ended the longest championship drought. The, you know, I remember talking to them uh, the year before they did it uh, for an article, and they talked about how it was the great, the last great quest in professional sports. I think that's a pretty fair description. Um, you know, the the Cubs that won the World Series title were going to be legends in Chicago forever, and they did in 2016. However, the dynasty that they imagined did not come to fruition, uh, and that's where you enter with some stats to sort of paint what it was like for the Cardinals during the Theo era with the Cubs. Yeah, I, I ran the numbers for a chat at stltoday.com, and they've gotten a lot of feedback um, from Cubs and Cardinals fans alike, and I to me, it's it's not a this is not a knock on on Theo. He accomplished what he came to Chicago to accomplish. They won a World Series. They they ended the curse. That is what he will be remembered for, and it's what he should be. Um, I do think it's an interesting way to kind of compare the styles. Um, Theo is boomerang. He wants to tear it down to build it up and then go tackle the next mountain. The Cardinals, they're they're the they're they they might not like this label, but they're the tortoise uh-huh. in, the, in, the, in this race against the hare. And here's how it plays out. So this is a nine season. So Theo was there for nine seasons, um, and this is how it played out. The Cardinals had more regular season wins than the Cubs. They had 753, which is fourth most in baseball during that nine season era, um, compared to the Cubs, who had 705, which was ninth. The Cardinals had nine winning seasons to the Cubs, six. The Cardinals had four National League Central Championships to the Cubs, three. The Cardinals had six playoff appearances to the Cubs, five. The Cardinals had 25 playoff wins, just tied for third most in baseball compared to the Cubs, 19th, 19, which is tied for eighth. And the Cardinals and the Cubs both had one World Series appearance. Of course, the Cardinals lost theirs and the Cubs won theirs. I did have one fan reach out and say, hey, this is great, but Theo was actually hired by the Cubs um, during the 2011 playoffs, so technically the Cardinals did win a World Series and went to two during the Theo era. I felt that was a little disingenuous because mm. you know he hadn't actually done anything other than being introduced, so it's right. a factor in that the Cardinals had more World Series appearances, including one win, Compared to uh, compared to just one and, and one win for the Cubs, however, 
that can be argued about. And, and my point was not to at all take away from what Theo did, that the, the dynasty talk was premature. Um, the Cubs did invite that and welcome that and then not deliver on it. Those things are true. But I think more than anything, it's about that conversation. Um, and you send this to Cubs fans and they say, but we won the World Series. You guys didn't during this time. That makes us better. Cardinals fans, perhaps more likely to say, well, we would rather look at the full body of work. There are also Cardinals fans that say, look, we're tired of hearing about sustained success. We need another ring. It's been since 2000. So you can argue it one way or the other. But one thing I think is important, and I do feel strong about this, winning the World Series does not mean you get to just erase the years you didn't win. Um, I think still, while tanking has been glorified and celebrated, you do still have to have your line on the whole resume. And I, right. you know the Cardinals value that. It's just an interesting way to kind of look at this idea that we thought we were told the Cubs were going to overtake this division and for years to come. And I remember, I'm sure we've talked about on this podcast, I actually vividly remember it at your house, kind of comparing it to the boats and the water. And the Cardinals uh-huh. remained tethered to their foundation. And they felt like the, 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 the tide was rising and they might adjust a little bit. And then you could argue some of the some of the mistakes they've made were perhaps in attempts to calibrate with the Cubs, but they, they felt like and in due time the waves would come down and they would be back on top of the water. And we it wasn't always the most um, fun approach. And it, and it and it certainly can be frustrating to fans. However, you do have to look at it and say, yeah, so far that has been what exactly what has happened. I mean, a, a big missing factor two for the Cubs was an inability to develop pitching. And that was part of their priority. right? Um, But you can look at how the Cardinals did developing pitching in the Theo era and really draw distinct lines to what you're talking about as far as their stability and what they were anchored to, to to continue the ship metaphor. Whereas the Cubs were tossed around a little bit. Um, You look at what they had to trade to get Quintana because they couldn't develop a pitcher. Um, look at what they had to spend to get Lester. And that was huge and had great returns and was a huge part of their success, um, but limited them elsewhere. Um, they got an absolute lottery ticket in Kyle Hendricks, right? But they traded mm-hmm. for him. Uh, and Theo didn't you know, so, draft him. Right, right, right. Um, you know, he was out of the Texas organization. So he, the the lack of homegrown pitching prospects just never gave them that sustained pipeline uh, um, where you look at the Cardinals and they had Flaherty and Hudson and Hicks and Rosenthal and you know they've populated other staffs with people Marco Gonzalez and Sandy Alcantara and Zach Gallen and you know I mean you just you look around and Lance Lynn you know is part of that era right because of what he provided you know homegrown guy obviously left for free agency um, the, the Cardinals have made pitching their 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 calling card and really the the foundation of their success. And the Cubs were never really able or haven't been able to create that same kind of firmament in the farm system. Yeah, and, and the Cardinals are wondering how they can find ways to develop the kind of hitters and position players that the Cubs, Correct. The Cubs have benefited from having without you know those ideal without tanking. Picks. Um, yep, so without taking. I mean, if you could combine the two, it'd be yeah, be, be a really incredible team. But it was, you know, I do, it was, a lot of people say, team. 
I had a lot of people say, hey, you know, do the numbers from 2016 on. And if you do, yeah, yeah. the Cubs are clearly better. I mean, no but one's disputing count. that. What, what, what is the dispute is, is do the do the tanking years matter? Do the, does right. the lost battle count if you surrender going into it? Um, that I, I can't answer that for everyone. To me, it does. But I know yeah. other people feel differently. I, th- I just think it's a very fascinating comparison. And the other thing that I think is interesting and I would be curious, you know, maybe one day when John Mozeliak retires, he'll weigh in on this. Um, I don't think he'll do it right now. But did Theo have a have a point when he talked about, you know, he kind of goes back to that Bill Walsh theory of go somewhere new every 10 years because the uh-huh. crowd eventually finds ways to, to get mad at you. And it's funny that, you know, this is probably as as – as I would say low, maybe as, as Mo's approval rating has been, um, you know, in, in, uh, in years, I think that's certainly safe to say since he proved himself probably that he knew what he was, was doing yet. When you uh-huh. run out these numbers, if you, if you gave that to many other fan bases, they would be celebrating it. So there's probably something to be said for, for maximizing a window and then opening up another one. Um, it's harder, I think to, to stay in one place and, try to be consistent. And sometimes it's uh, not always maybe as appreciated as much as it should be. I'll just, I'm not going to tell fans what to think, but I'll just, I'll just point out the context that, that I know I've said this before and I'll continue to repeat it until it changes. The, the problems for Cardinals fans are, are still the definition of first world problems. Yeah. But I mean, I understand that there's an endorphin rush that comes from a championship that isn't there sure. from consistent it's been a long contention. Time. I mean, we're talking about a decade if they don't win it in 2021. And that's right. You don't get to dismiss that when you're the national league leader, you're held to Correct. a higher standard. When the, when the Dodgers are on your heels. Correct. And and loading up again. I mean, not yeah. not exactly off into the sunset. So I mean, you don't want to be the uh, you don't want to be the one in charge of the Cardinals when the Dodgers overtake you for your brand. You're right, but you also you also want to keep in perspective um, the difference between the, the conversation of not handing the, the the National League over to the Dodgers and being a competent baseball team. Sometimes I think we uh, we, we encounter some some uh, things that are maybe a little uh, skewed. Well, speaking of competent, you're quite competent as a sports columnist, and I am getting more competent as a podcast host. Though I, though I, I'm, I'm trying. Um, so excellent. The, you know, thanks for that. We went around the horn with Ben Fredrickson. Uh, talked Lane yeah. Thomas. Talked Bill Dewitt's comments. Talked Fox Sports Midwest changing names and the inevitable pop up sports betting that is coming and slid into home to talk about Yadier Molina and Wainwright and then added up a little uh, on our walk back to the dugout. We had a little Cubs talk. So thank you all very much for joining us. Uh, the best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. Get organized with Closet by Design of St. Louis. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. That's 1-800-B-Y-D-E-S-I-G-N. Remember, 40% off plus an additional 15% off. And now for the first time, new to the sponsorship, free installation. So, Clouds by Design of St. Louis, 1-800-BY-D-E-S-I-G-N. Clouds by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball, which you can find at stltoday.com and anywhere you get your podcasts. Also at stltoday.com is the podcast that Ben does with Dave Matter on the Tigers. There's also, on the Mizzou Tigers, I should say. There's also a podcast on the St. Louis Blues with Jim Thomas, Jeff Gordon, and Tom Timmerman. There are chats, there are videos, there are plenty of things 
Well, there's just plenty of things, right? There's lots of content. There's lots of constant content at stltoday.com. And there's a deal going on right now where folks Ooh, can yeah, tell folks. Grab, grab an online package for a, a holiday price, maybe give it as a gift. So check that out. Um, if folks are interested, uh, just go to, uh, I believe it's stltoday.com slash subscribe. Um, and you can find the latest, uh, latest deal if you're looking for stocking stuff. Subscribers make all of this coverage possible. Um, sponsorships make the podcast possible, but it's subscribers and their investment in our coverage that allows us to continue to cover the Cardinals the way that we do, which is constant and also sets the bar for what we have to return on your investment. I, uh, I welcome that challenge, especially as we get into the off season. Um, we have stories planned that I hope will, uh, will satisfy and, and push the bar even higher for what is expected of our coverage. And to be honest, that started with your or continued with that, that column you wrote uh, about Lane Thomas. So that's at stltoday.com now. Ben, thank you very much for joining me. You bet, man. Have a happy Thanksgiving if I don't talk to you until the after. Yeah, absolutely. Have a happy Thanksgiving. The next podcast will be after the Thanksgiving holiday. So everybody, stay informed, stay healthy. Talk to you soon. <laughs>